For decades, some of the best baseball players in the world did not play in the major leagues. Due to segregation in the majors, African-American players were forced to find their own league to play in, and thus the Negro Leagues were born. Baseball just celebrated the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues, with MLB and the Players Association jointly sharing in the event. Today across Major League Baseball, we honor the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. Today, the Miami Marlins will honor the history of the Negro Leagues as they don the uniforms of the Miami Giants, and we will celebrate with them as we look back on some of the legends of the game. You know about Jackie Robinson, but what about the players who came before him? many of whom played for little more than the love of the game and never got a chance to play in the majors. Let's find out a little bit about them. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is A Swing and a Belt. When visitors come here to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, they will oftentimes hear me emphatically relate stories that were told to me by my good friend, the great John Jordan Buck O'Neill. It's hard to put in perspective Buck's place not just in the work that he did to build the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, but his place in baseball history. Arguably the greatest ambassador this sport has ever seen. Bob Kendrick is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and has been involved with the museum since 1993. And this is a very special time because on Sunday, Major League Baseball celebrated the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. And we are very pleased to have Bob Kendrick joining us today on A Swing and a Bell. Bob, how have you been keeping? You know, I'm hanging in that day, man. It's so great to hear your voice. and But, you know, in the midst of all the madness that has been coronavirus and We've been navigating our way through it, and so, so far, so good. Well, tell me, before we get into the anniversary, tell me about the museum. Are, are you open right now? Can you have people in to come see the museum, or is everything virtual right now? No, we are back open. Uh, we're moving almost into two months now being open. We reopened June 16th after having been closed for three months. We were closed, and I think we officially closed on March 14th. We reopened on June 16th. Uh, it was the day after my birthday. So I guess it was my birthday gift to myself to finally get people back in the museum. Now we're operating under some pretty significant COVID protocols. And so right. we're at about 25% of our capacity. But you know what, Dan, it's just great to have life back in the museum. I understand that. And, and I want to talk about that a little later. As, as I've talked about online and on the air before, my wife surprised me with a trip down to Kansas City about three years ago. She had gotten in touch with Bob. They kind of knew each other through business a little bit. And we got a private tour of the Negro Leagues Museum from Bob. I don't know if you remember, Bob. Then we bumped into a school group when we were about halfway through. So then it was us and the school group getting the tour. But uh, I got to tell you, you're a natural. You're as good a tour guide as I've ever seen at any exhibit. And I'm so glad that you're open again and, and getting a chance to do what I know you love to do so much. Uh, I wanted to talk about, I mean, the, the last few days obviously have been a very big deal for the Negro Leagues Museum, and it's been great. Who got the idea off the ground to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. Did you go to baseball? Did MLB come to you? How did, how did that start? Well, I went to baseball and we've been planning this for well over a year in terms of the fact that we wanted to do something significant. Now, it was certainly on baseball's radar screen, but you know, the Negro Leagues Museum put together what I thought was a tremendous plan for what would be a year-long centennial celebration. And we shared those plans with Major League Baseball. They 
absolutely wholeheartedly endorsed our plans. And then we all gathered here on February 13th of this year, 100 years to the date that Rube Foster signed these leagues into existence. And Dan, we went back into the Paseo YMCA where that historic meeting took place. The Negro Leagues Museum, of course, owns the Paseo YMCA with the charge of converting it into an education and research center in memory of the late great Buck O'Neill. So we go literally full circle right back to the very building Hmm. that gave birth to the story that we're now charged with preserving 100 years from the date that they were signed into existence. Commissioner Manfred from Major League Baseball is there. Xavier James, Chief Operating Officer of the Players Association. John Sherman, our great new owner of the Kansas City Royals. A host of other dignitaries that joined us as we commemorated the 100th anniversary. MLB and MLBPA announced a joint $1 million contribution in support of the museum and the centennial celebration. And then we rolled out our year-long plan of events and activities. Well, who knew less than 30 days later, everything would come to a screeching halt. Just like that. Man, you know, and I'd be lying, Dan, if I said it didn't knock the wind out of my sails. Because it absolutely did. Because this year was so important to the museum on a lot of levels. But we were also prepping to launch a significant fundraising campaign that we thought was going to be the basis, the springboard to setting up this museum for long-term sustainability so that it will be able to operate into perpetuity. And you started to kind of feel like these efforts were going to be lost. So can you, I don't want to jump around too much, but can you recreate those efforts next year? Is there a chance to do that entire campaign just a year later? Oh, of course. Of course. You know, you know, we have to be flexible and mobile right. and all agile and all these other things. <laughs> so, you know, once, once I stopped crying and, you know, a little bit of wallowing, yeah, a little bit of wallowing, and I stopped crying, that's when you get up and you start thinking about creatively what can you do. And so we made a decision early on that given the knowledge and the limited knowledge that we had on this COVID virus, that it was highly unlikely that we were going to be able to get large gatherings together for anything. So we killed a lot of those events and we decided to roll them into 2021. And we've already come up with the theme for next year. It'll be called Negro Leagues 101. And for those of us who step foot on anybody's college campus, you know, the 101 course of Dan were the only ones I passed, man. So- <laughs> oh, I doubt that. <laughs> so, so tell now, us a little know, bit about Negro Leagues 101. What, what, what's, uh, what's in this course? <laughs> well, we're, yeah, no, and that's exactly what it is. It's going to be a major national education initiative where we start to find creative avenues to disseminate interesting tidbits about the Negro League so that we can really educate as many people, particularly young people, as we can about the history of the Negro Leagues, but maybe even more importantly, the life lessons that stem from the Negro Leagues. And given what we've seen happen socially in this country over recent months, it's important. It really is important. I think this museum, Dan, is more important today than ever before because of some of those issues that have emerged in the U.S. I think you make an outstanding point right there. What did it mean to you to see every major league player on Sunday (laughs) wearing a patch on his uniform commemorating the Negro Leagues? Dan, I'm still basking. I am basking in the glow of what was one of the most incredible days 
in recent museum history, even though we couldn't conduct the celebration the way that we had envisioned it with fans being in the ballpark, it did not diminish this incredible milestone. And I was just overjoyed and filled with tremendous pride to see all of those players with our Centennial logo patch on their uniform, all the clubs who were so engaged and involved in highlighting the history of the Negro Leagues. I ran my mouth literally all day yesterday, <laughs> you know, and took advantage of every opportunity that we could get to talk about this history. And so it was so meaningful to me. It was emotional, as you could well imagine. My thoughts naturally throughout the course of the day went back to my friend Buck O'Neill, yeah. who was the founder of this museum. And Dan, when I met him, for the first time in 1993, I'm a volunteer with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum at that time. And I asked him the question, what motivated you to want to build a Negro Leagues Museum? And what he said to me was so succinct, but so profound. He just simply said, so that we would be remembered. And man, yesterday, they were remembered in ways in which I don't think Buck would have ever envisioned. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it filled me with tremendous pride to see so many embrace this story and embrace the Negro Leagues Museum as the primary caretaker of this history. Yeah, well, that's a tribute not only to Buck and, and his vision, but to you in carrying on that vision in his stead. And, and congratulations to both of you. He is, and I know you know this, but for people who don't know, if anybody's met Buck O'Neill and doesn't think he's the nicest person they've ever met in their life, you know, uh, you'd be second, by the way. But um, uh, I got to know Buck not very well, but I was I started broadcasting Blue Jays games in 1995. And when we would go to Kansas City, inevitably, Buck was at the ballpark. And Buck was just mm -hmm. one of those guys, as you know, so much better than me. He just would come up to you and say, hello, young man. And he would just engage you in conversation. And before you knew it, it was like you'd known him for 20 years and you'd only known him for 20 minutes. But he was just a, a wonderful, kind man. And I'm, I'm so glad that, that this has gotten to the point that it's gotten with the museum. Let me ask you, Bob, if a young baseball fan, you know, a 10 year old boy or girl came yeah. up to you and said, tell me about the Negro Leagues. Like what how good were they? What style of play? What what, what would you want kids today to know about the Negro Leagues? that they played some of the best baseball ever played in this country. And uh, that style of play was, was bold and brash and daring and exciting. You know, really, Dan, during that era when both of these leagues were operating parallel to one another, Major League Baseball was essentially a base-to-base -base kind of game. Guy got on base, you moved him over to second, and the big hitters came in, drove him in. Mm -hmm. But in the Negro Leagues, they dropped that bunt. They steal second. They steal third. And if you weren't too smart, they were stealing home. Mm -hmm. And that's why fans were flocking to those games because it was polar opposite of Major League Baseball. But you had these tremendously gifted athletes who were playing baseball at its highest level. And so the pace and speed of the game was exceptional. And it was entertainment at its highest level. As Buck O'Neill would say, you couldn't go to the concession stand because you might miss something that you mm -hmm. ain't never seen before. <laughs> that was Negro Leagues baseball. And that's the style that so many of the guys, as that pipeline started to open up after Jackie Robinson, 
that they took into Major League Baseball. And to me, it's kind of converted back to the base-to-base mindset now because it's a home run strikeout game. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I just prefer the other way. But I'm (laughs) old school. I'll be the first to admit I'm old school. I just like to see the action. I like the pace. I like the daringness. I was on doing an interview uh, on Saturday, as a matter of fact, with two people that I know you know, CeCe Sabathia and Curtis Granderson. Yes. And, And we were talking about base stealing and how base stealing affects the pitcher. Of course, it's basically a lost art now. You know, because again, the analytics say we don't want you to get get thrown out at second and take the bat out of these power hitters' hands. And but in the Negro leagues, they just drove you crazy. You know, your your attention had to be on these guys. Yeah. Cool Papa Bell got on base, man. That was a double. You just took the name right out of my mouth. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I was going to say, I want you to tell me a story about Cool Papa Bell. I read a book when I was a kid, and I hope I'm not mixing up which book it was. It was called Baseball When the Grass Was Real, and there were about 15 chapters in there about players from the 30s and 40s, and one chapter was about Cool Papa Bell. You know, the stories have been told a hundred times. He was so fast he could hit a line drive up the middle, the ball would hit him as he was sliding into second. He was so fast he could turn off the light and be in bed and asleep before it got dark, that sort of thing. But tell me a story about Cool Papa Bell that that I'll take with me for the rest of my time. Well, you know, those stories that you talk about are legendary, but story Buck told me and and they were playing in Mexico, Dan. And Cool goes from first to third so fast on a single that the Mexican team stopped the game in protest. Because they swore he had cut across the diamond, man. Yeah, like no man could get around the bases that fast. How fast was Cool Papa Bell? The legendary Jesse Owens, who at that time was the fastest man in the world, would never race Cool Papa Bell. Mm. Flat out refused to race Cool Papa Bell. Yeah, you know, for those who are hearing the name for the first time, he would routinely turn singles into doubles, doubles into triples, you know, and the speed was just amazing. And the thing that to me, because the speed was something that everybody kind of has at least related to through the lore of this legendary ball player, but he may have been the greatest base runner this game has ever seen, because that's the thing that Buck always marveled at. Cool's ability to cut the bag. He could circle the bases from home to home in 12 seconds. But it was really his ability to cut that bag on the inside where most guys had to make that big round turn. Cool was on the inside. And and Dan Buck would say that Cool would be so low to the ground that he could literally smack the bag with his hand and not fall over. Now, some things just God-given. You know, you just... Quit trying to figure out scientifically how and why he could do it and just accept that the good Lord gives some of us some (laughs) things that he don't give all of us. And cool got that. (laughs) That's right. That's great. That's a great story. You know, one of the things that I think is so cool and and you must love it, too, is when major league teams come to Kansas City to play the Royals. I know oftentimes you'll get a phone call from somebody with the team and say, hey, I'd like to bring a few guys over. And then major league ball players are coming. I know Curtis Granderson has done this kind of thing. Major league ball players are coming over to the museum, and often I would guess it's an African American player who is bringing teammates 
who are African-American, Latino, white, all different groups. How often are you playing tour guide for major league ball players as they come visit the museum? All the time. And if I was going to point to, you know, all of the many disappointing things that coronavirus has kind of hampered this year, that would be one of the major ones. Because there is no question with the heightened interest and the relationship, the working relationship that we have with Major League Baseball and the PA, we were likely going to see more major leaguers visit this museum than ever before. And I really miss that because for me, Dan, it never gets old. It really doesn't. Every time we get a young athlete here at the museum and we get a chance to introduce them to this incredible story of triumph over adversity, I get excited. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it's carrying on in the spirit of Buck, who was always here to walk these young ball players through to encourage them. But he wanted them to understand what they had done. And for me, the one common denominator that I always share with my major league athletes that they have with the players from the Negro Leagues, love of the game. You play this game because you love it. And I know sometimes we as fans can get a little fickle because we relate everything to money. And so we think because the players are afforded an opportunity to make a great living that they don't love the game. Yeah, they love the game. They're still playing a game that they played as a kid for free. And I can tell you now, if they had to play it for free, they would still play it for free. But as I also share with them, you will never see a greater example of love of the game than you do when you walk through the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. They had to love it in order to endure the things that they had to endure. They could ride into a town, fill up the ballpark, and yet not be able to get a meal from the same fans who had just cheered them or not have a place to stay. So they would sleep on the bus and eat their peanut butter and crackers until they could get to a place that would offer them basic services. But what you have to admire about that spirit is they never allow that to kill the love of the game. So if I've got to sleep on the bus and if I've got to eat my peanut butter and crackers, then so be it. I'm going to keep playing ball. And as you know, that's the prevailing spirit that drives the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. But I do think it gives them a greater perspective and appreciation for just how good they have it today. Mm -hmm. Well said, as always. And for anybody listening, now you can understand why he was such a good tour guide, such a wonderful tour guide when we went in there. Uh, Bob, your energy and your passion are so wonderful and commendable, and I could talk to you all day. I'm just so glad that you're doing well, and I look forward to all the things that you can do next year during Negro Leagues 101, as, as you put it. And I'm just looking forward <laughs> to things getting back to normal. And again, I can't say this strongly enough to people listening. If you're in Kansas City, if you're on a baseball trip, if you're going to see the Royals play, you have to go to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. You cannot miss it. It's important and it's educational and it's entertaining. It's both. It's everything that a baseball fan would ever and, want. And for all my Canadian fans, you've got to come and see the Getty Lee collection that <laughs> is featured right. here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. That's it's right. incredible. Yeah, we just featured that on our on our telecast the other night doing the Blue Jay game. We showed it, and I remember you showing me that. Getty Lee donated um, some, you know, one-of-a-kind, great autograph collection of baseballs, which is there. There's just so much to see. Uh, Bob, I look forward to seeing you in person one day again. Whenever life allows us to get back on the road and go see baseball games, I look forward to seeing you again. And I, I can't thank you enough for uh, helping us out and spending some time with me today. 
Oh, Dan, anytime, man. Thanks for having me back. And uh, I absolutely look forward to seeing you as well. So stay safe. And uh, thank you for everything you do to keep advocating the history of the Negro Leagues and what this museum means to not only the, the U.S., but to the world. Thank you very much. Well, as I'm sure you can tell, you owe it to yourself to visit the Negro Leagues Museum. And if you're lucky enough, you'll get to meet Bob Kendrick. The pandemic may have delayed some of the initiatives Bob is hoping to implement, but he'll make sure the stories continue to be told somehow, some way, for as long as he is there. As many have said in recent weeks, a tip of the cap to the great players of the Negro Leagues and to Bob Kendrick. A Swing and a Belt is produced by Christian Ryan. We'd love you to leave us a like or a review or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dan Schulman. Thanks for listening.